old school Jake Huger, Ben Mangos with you guys. Uh, normally, we would be talking about lighter fare, but these are serious times. So uh, we're going to uh, discuss some serious issues today. So, Ben, I I now I never I was talking about this in the post game on Monday. Um, I always believed Trump was authoritarian. I never believed that he cared about the Constitution or our former government. Uh, people thought that was hyperbole in the beginning. Now, I think a lot of people have caught on to that three and a half years too late. On the other hand, I always thought talk of civil war was overdramatic and overhyped. Uh, and it still is, except I now have it on the board. I have it at non-zero uh, percentage event. Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, I would put civil war still at, a, at zero. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, uh, could we have a, a, a Kent State moment times 50? Yes. You know, um, and maybe that meets some definition of, of civil war. But, I mean, you know, four young people were killed in 50 years ago this year at, uh, at Kent State. And, you know, uh, uh, that situation uh, could erupt tonight right as we as we tape this and you know we're not waiting for something the the order the encouragement to the police in a lot of cities and national guardsmen in a lot of cities um is enough right you know um you know we heard him berating the governors um calling them weak telling them to you know crank it up uh what did he say uh, he didn't say crush them. What were his he words? Said dominate the protesters. Dominate, dominate them. Yeah, I mean, he's using a word that, like, you know, you would have expected to hear in the in the Michael Jordan documentary. We didn't just want to beat the Pistons; we wanted to dominate them, um, which sounds super tough. Except what that means is, you know, we want to keep them under eighty points and win by fifteen, crush their spirit. Not actually crush their spirit. After the game, the Pistons go to dinner. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, and and he's doing this. Uh, 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 about people with guns. So, yeah. yeah so, I mean, I kind of want to say, hey, not civil war, but I, I, I don't, I don't feel like downplaying uh, his rhetoric. Yeah. No. L let me be clear. Like, do I think we're going to put on red hats and blue hats and uh, you know dig trenches? No. Um, full blown war, unimaginable. Um, but I, I, I guess what I'm referring to is even significant street violence between right wing and left wing factions where they're firing at each other, I would have thought was previously unimaginable. I now believe it's completely imaginable. Uh, and, and in the Rose Garden address, Trump said it mentioned Second Amendment rights for no reason out of the blue, having nothing to do with that issue, uh, meaning grab your guns. Uh, I'm giving you permission to get your guns and to use them against, I mean, they, they'll say looters, uh, but really they mean protesters. Um, yeah, and, and so. no matter what they mean, they mean uh, Americans. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the headline in the uh, Huffington Post, just to, you know, um, uh, again, which some conservatives may think of as a, you know, liberal rag. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, we, we know, I mean, it's good, you know, but, uh, mm -hmm. 
uh, I mean, it's useful. It serves a, a good purpose overall in the world. Uh, Trump declares war on Americans. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I read that after reading the Rose. I still haven't seen it, but I read the what he said in the Rose Garden. And uh, I didn't feel... That didn't feel really like hyperbole. No, it's not, because he said, I'm going to use the military. And so, first of all, even if you use the Insurrection Act, uh, I mean, really, we're using the Insurrection Act. Okay. Uh, that, it's that's like from 18, 1807, something like that. Yeah. I think 213 years old. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And so, um, not because there's an actual... It, insurrection of the loyalists to the crown, which is what that was about, right? Um, but because, well, I don't like the left-wing protesters. I don't like the black protesters. There's enough looting of like six or seven stores or however, and maybe I don't want to underplay it. I don't know how many stores were looted. Maybe it's 600 or, se 600 or 700, maybe. Right. Whatever it is, it, it's still a tiny number compared to the whole country. Um, and and use that as an excuse for, yeah, having the military seize the country. And if you say you're going to use the military inside the country, they have weapons. Um, in a confrontation, the point of a weapon is that you could use it. Yeah, the big, so the big argument that have, they're right. He's going to, he's at a minimum, he's not going to send in military guys and say you're not allowed to use your weapons. So at a minimum, he's going to authorize the military to kill U.S. citizens on U.S. soil. You know, the, the right has for years uh, argued, railed against the use of American forces uh, as peacekeepers, right? It's not their job to be, Amer be the world's police. Um, and, you know, in that in those moments of rhetoric that, you know, they're, they're not wrong, that, that is literally not what they're trained for. Uh, they're trained to d defend the country from attack, and they're trained to attack when that means destabilizing the enemy who is a supposedly a legitimate threat. So, yeah, I mean, the idea that all of a sudden this guy is going to call in the United States Armed Services, U.S. Marines, U.S. soldiers uh, on American shores with guns pointed at Americans. I mean, it's bad enough when it's the National Guard. Um and by the way, I'm not even, I don't even know that it's not okay when there's mass looting to call in the National Guard to supplement uh, the police uh, under normal circumstances. And I mean normal circumstances of where uh, you expected these people to uh, uh, behave, uh, uh, you know, uh, humanely, where it really was to keep the peace. But he doesn't mean any of it. He doesn't mean it like that. And of course, almost worst of all, and I, uh, you know, I, I, you and I in our uh, thousands of political conversations, you know, when you or I or somebody else says politics, the other one was like, yeah, of course it's politics. Like, yeah, we, we get politics, right? These are politicians and, and politics isn't a, a dirty word, right? And politics is, is how you, how political change happens in the country and political change in a, in a country can be vital to progress. Um, but for him, this is the most sinister mode of politics. We know, we've heard from those internal meetings. They're like, hey, this is good for us. This gives us a law and order angle. Uh, this was a decision made about what's best in November, you know, with no regard for how that message is going to get received by four or by, by, by thousands of 
uh, armed police officers who look like they're in the military based on their equipment uh, standing with National Guardsmen who are essentially uh, in the military. So, look, there's no hyperbole he won't go past. Uh, so, um, you know, when we talk about uh, using the military, he did it or he's ordering it. Uh, a, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, fascists uh, usually use armed supporters to supersede the law. He called for, you know, you, the, the folks with, who cares about Second Amendment rights to show up. Uh, so he's done it. Uh, ben, again, I thought him not leaving uh, if he loses was far-fetched. Uh, as authoritarian as I think he is, and you, you name any negative adjective, and I... I probably think about, I think of, of that 10x of what a normal person thinks of it in terms of Trump. Um, but um, I would have thought the Joint Chiefs would have come, come in and go, sir, you got to leave now, right? Uh, but if he's filled the top ranks of the military with loyalists, and he's been using him in the country for the last six months, well, now him not leaving also becomes a non-zero event. You know, I, I think back on all the conversations we had uh, regarding uh, President Bush and how, uh, you know, um, tragic and brutal and awful and ignorant the decision to wage war in Iraq was with all of its devastating, repeat those adjectives, consequences, um, that you and I both sort of came to understand that the structures of the country, right, the, 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 the foundation on which the, 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 the political infrastructure was built was so strong that George, Dick Cheney uh, and, and, and Doug Fife and Paul Wolfowitz and Don Rumsfeld were, were, were incapable of destroying it. But I'm not sure that that is, uh, uh, it's different now. There's no question it's different now. I didn't think it could really be different, but I, I still believe that. I still, in, at least in the terms of the thing you're talking about, of whether a defeated Trump could somehow stay in office past January 20th or nullify the election. Uh, that seems inconceivable to me. Uh, and my first thought was, well, you know, this is where unbelievably so crazy for moderates, but certainly for progressives, liberals to to think, well, John Roberts will save us. And I think he would, right? I think, right? In that scenario, I, I feel very certain. But if what, <laughs> but to your point, so they just ignore whatever that Supreme Court decision was, right? I mean, that's the, so I still think that the, the foundation is, it, it takes more than a than a Trump to crush it. But man, do I feel uh, less secure in saying that than I did in, in you know, 2003, four, five. And, and less secure than I did yesterday. Um, yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, I agree, yeah, right. I, look, because to me, it, we talked a lot about this, funny enough, in the Iraq war days. Uh, once the situation on the ground changes, it's very hard to unchange it. So. Uh, when Muqtada al-Sadr withdrew his Mahdi uh, army, um, when he was ascendant, it was a curious decision. And uh, I, I thought he could have taken over Iraq at that point. Uh, as it turns out, 
later he took over Iraq by winning an election. Uh, but but at the at the time when the American forces then got re-entrenched, the, the boots on the ground made a difference. It changed the dynamics so much that that Muqtada al-Sadr's brigades lost momentum. And so in this uh, scenario, if you have the military acting within the United States and doing things that were previously illegal, unconstitutional, unimaginable, uh, and minus the Insurrection Act, uh, and even with it, which I'll explain in a second, these acts are still illegal and unconstitutional, but we've had it for military rule for six months, well, then the elections being played around with and the military just now ruling the country, it's on the board. It's possible. You know, yeah, I mean, it's not, yes, yes. I mean, I don't even, the the repercussions of it are, are so extreme. Mostly, though, what they're extreme in is the uh, pointless loss of life, right? And, you know, the, I, I, I pointed people to a tweet stream yesterday. I think I mentioned it to you by uh, it's just by a writer, but he knows he knows cops and uh, uh, Michael Connolly. He writes a lot of people watch the the Bosch show on Amazon. It's really quite good, and and he's written twenty five novels, uh, all of them uh, or ninety five percent of them, uh, having to do with the uh, 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 Los Angeles Police Department. He covered the L.A. Police Department. He covered the Rodney King riots. Uh, prior to that, he was a police reporter in, in, in I, I think, in, in Miami, maybe Tampa, um, maybe both. Um, and he tweeted the thing. It started off where, you know, he says the, the, this moment he'd never, uh, he thought he'd seen the low point in humanity in the Rodney King riots, the low point in the city in the Rodney King riots. And he saw, while there, he saw the worst of humanity, but he also saw the best of humanity. Um, and he thought, that over the last 28 years, there had been change. And then he says, he realizes, I'm not, I don't think there has been. I was mistaken, essentially. And then he pointed out that he knows a lot of cops and he knows a lot of cops and most of them are really good. And most of them would like to fly from Los Angeles and, and South Florida where he knows them and fly to Minneapolis and put the cuffs on those guys, right? They would love it because they think they're criminals. Uh, sure. um, and then Cops. Yeah, show of it. Right, right, right. And uh, and the other three. Um, and and he also thinks that, you know, when he hears the protesters, he talks about these peaceful protesters who are demanding a real change. And he goes, yeah, and they've been infiltrated in some way by some group of people taking advantage of the situation, whatever, however you want to describe the uh, the, the looters and the people breaking uh, windows of buildings. And, and, he, and he's and I get it. And but then he pointed out that so if the left, if, if those protesters have been infiltrated, he said, so have the police. And they have been infiltrated with people who have no business having a badge. And even though he then suggested that that number was small, he said the point was it didn't matter. It had infiltrated them and it therefore corrupted them. Um, because as we think about like how many National Guardsmen are going to hear that message, you know, who's the National Guardsman in, in 1970 at Kent State to to fire first, right? And who gave the order? Still unclear, but somebody fired first and then others fired because that's how it works. And it doesn't, it, it if 12%, 15%, 8% hear that message, it doesn't matter. In a sense, it might as well be 80%. And so you can't 
send that message. You can't do it. Um, and I loved that a guy who sort of in his court sort of defends police or at least defends many cops and defends police work was suggesting. And then he said, and, and the people who have infiltrated the police department, however small their numbers and corrupted the police department, not by taking bribe money, by corrupted the, the mission for good, to, uh, to do good, to protect and serve, literally, do far, far, far more damage than anybody who is uh, uh, taking Adidas uh, out of a store or taking iPhone 11s and MacBook Pros out of an Apple store and like you, not minimizing it, but it is not in any way the same and that the time has come for meaningful police change and that does not mean a conversation uh, and it does not mean only better training. Better training is part of it, but it means changing the laws, changing the rules that they operate under. Or, and then if you break those rules, uh, you're, you're, the cuffs are going to go on you and you're going to go to prison. I didn't know a train went by your house. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It uh, it goes right to the beach. It's a one mile train, but it's it's quite loud. Now that we live near the uh, Santa Monica Airport, and uh, uh, they can uh, so the jets can can make some noise. Okay, uh, so look, I, I, I thought of something scary uh, as we were having this conversation. Um, so let me lead up to it. Uh, first of all, um, I saw uh, a New York police officers uh, flashing a white power sign in one of the videos. So, um, you know, the quote-unquote infiltration, it could just be bad guys having nothing to do with any politics or ideology. But then there's the white power guys. And a lot of them do become, not a lot of them, some of them become cops. And oh boy. But then the, the worst part is, then the thin blue line kicks in. And so now all, all the cops have been taught, you, you protect all cops at all costs right. unquestioningly. So now you have all the other cops protecting uh, bad actors and, and maybe even white supremacists. And uh, I mean, like the, a lot of the left will be like, maybe even white supremacists? Of course. But, but seriously, like literally people in white power organizations, et cetera. Uh, and that's why yeah, the I mean, line never makes any sense. So that's look, right. I, I, yeah, I, I, I love my friends, everybody who works at Young Turks, my family, et cetera. And so, okay, but do we have a thin blue line at TYT? Well, I guess it depends, isn't it? I mean, Ben, you're one of my best friends, but if you, you know, killed a couple of people, I, you know, I'd have to think yeah. about it. Right? Well, yeah, we're probably going to tell on each other. I mean, you kill them in self-defense, and I believe it to be in self-defense. I don't know, maybe. But you'd be like, yeah, these guys were irritating me, and they, they called me a big brown buffalo, so I, I shot them, and then I shot all their friends. We'd be like, oh, my tank, what are you doing? Yeah, right, yeah. right. i got to tell the cops where you are. Like, it's not, it's not yeah. that hard, you know. Um, we're not, we're so not going to do a thin or thick brown line on that one. <laughs> but, like, I want to get to a little bit of something you said, and, like, because I don't want to... You know, I don't want to lose the thread and the focus because of uh, the the white the cop who flashed the white the national the white power symbol. Like, it really doesn't matter the motivation. The behavior clearly exists through this. You know, again, infiltration of people who have no business uh, having a badge and the damage they do, the damage they do to the let's make up a number to the eighty two percent who should have a badge, right? But. It's too, that is too corrupted. And, and so I don't care whether your motivations in this sake, for the sake of this conversation, obviously dangerous to have white nationalists in the police force, but 
if your disregard for the people who you have, who you are coming into contact with, the unarmed ones, is so extreme that you're willing to stand, lean on a guy's neck and back uh, for nine minutes and for th three minutes after he's no longer moving, I, I am indifferent at that point as to what your motivations are. You're yeah. a criminal. Yeah. I, I have a second uh, scary thought that I probably will do in the in the next uh, episode if you're watching this on on uh, one of our platforms. Uh, but but to finish that thought, Ben, I mean, the thin blue line is a super dangerous concept because without it, if even if you were just a bunch of guys who were super loyal to each other, if we were, and let's say that even if Floyd George was, I mean, George Floyd was a was a bad guy, which he wasn't. And we have somehow subdued him after he passed. And like, assume we're super bad guys. You throw all of that into the mix. But after he passed out, if you were the one on his neck, I would have said, hey, Ben, you got to get up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, but with, oh. the, with the mentality of the thin blue line, no. If a cop is, if a fellow cop is murdering someone, you don't say anything. You back him up. You keep yeah. your, uh, you know, your knee on the guy's back while the guy's got his knee on his neck. Yeah, so I, there was, you know, it's a different line, uh, according to the to police and, and, and my understanding of it. And I was talking to a reporter today who covers cops and is is appropriately uh, sickened by by this and by what happened and, 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 and by that behavior in cops, which he acknowledges is widespread and was just as widespread, maybe more, probably more widespread before there were cameras everywhere.